Matthew's been a staple at the, in the Huntsville, Alabama comedy scene since 2012, and many of the regular showcases in the city were started and produced by him. His album, Game Set Trash, debuted at number one on the Amazon top seller list, and his fourth album, It Only Hurts When I Exist, released in June of 2022, is still getting a lot of action on the evil Spotify. Let's bring him out right now. It's Matthew Tate. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing the show. Before we started, I mentioned it would be fun to talk to you about comedy because it seems like every time we get together, we just talk about music because we're both into the obscure stuff. True facts. <laughs> One of the things, and this is going to really shoot you right out of the blue. This is going to be weird, wild, and wacky, but I, I, wa I rewatched... Bob Rubin's special on Netflix, Oddities and Rarities. And I started thinking about how we rate comedians and who we say is the best and who we say is the most important. And I'm, I'm taking comedians that actually have a message. Okay, actually, you know, say George Carlin, you know, he was doing commentary on how shitty people are and how bad we're treating the earth and stuff like that in, in his last few albums. And yet we have comedians that are very well read and very intelligent that just do just like really massive dark misdirects like an Anthony Jeselnik. So you got these two, you got these two polar opposites of types of comedian and yet both of them generate a lot of laughs and one of them might make you think a little bit more and the other one just makes you laugh and i think that especially in the comedy community that we don't give enough props to people who just do jokes you know what i mean yeah and i just i it kept me up last night because there are, it's not less, you know, it's like comparing a Monet to a Manet, you know what I mean? It's really just the fact that art is art. And if you succeed at it, you shouldn't be judged by the way you get to your success. I agree wholeheartedly and uh, i mean every type of comedy has uh, its own uh place and appeal and whatnot and all of it is valid you know like i think like clean comics get a lot of hate but you know like if i was good at writing clean like you'd better believe i'd be doing clean almost all the time because it's you know very bookable yeah and uh, you know I, I think there is more of a trend in comedy to where a lot more modern stuff is stuff that makes you think. And sometimes it's kind of dark. And, you know, I think there's definitely some backlash against that to some degree. Like one example that of this that sticks out to me is Wesley Jones from SNL at one point came out. And I mean, I thought this was kind of foolish to say, but 
she blames modern stand-up comedy in part for the rising level of suicides and depression in this country <laughs> because comedians are just so much more serious. And I think painting like a type of stand-up comedy with just one brush like that is a huge disservice. And yeah, she's not the only person who's ever done that. You know, Bill Cosby years and years. I hated Cosby before, you before know. Before it was but, cool to hate him. <laughs> yeah. And, and my initial reason was he had a kind of famously back in, I think, the late 70s came out and just made a very blanket statement attacking comics who are now legends like Carlin and Pryor saying, you know, if you have to cuss in your comedy, that's not real comedy. And I'm like, well, that that's a really, that's a very holier-than-thou kind of attitude. Yeah. I think it, it doesn't serve anybody. Right. And I feel like the comedians, especially new ones, and even though I've been doing it for six years, I consider myself a, a new one because I, it's mostly just a hobby for me, especially new ones they try to get into that, I guess, important comedian status for a while and try to make this social commentary and stuff like that. And it's just not, it's not for everybody. And yeah. I really, it really hit home to me, you know, watching the Rube definitely hit home. And then I interviewed a guy from Canada, Glenn Foster, and he does a little social commentary, but it's mostly just self-deprecating stuff. And, you know, I listened to that album and you know, I laughed and that's something that comedians don't do. <laughs> you know, we're like, yeah. you know, the best you get from a comedian is usually, oh yeah, you got that one because we just know. And because of that, I'm thinking, you know, it's okay to be just a regular comic doing jokes and it doesn't matter who it reaches as long as those people laugh and it's okay. So Carrot Top is fine. You know, you know, we may not want to be Carrot Top, but you know what? He's serving a purpose. People are laughing. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're, you know, not Jeff Dunham, I think you're all right. You know? <laughs> he really, yeah, I, he, he really is one that I can't watch. So yeah, dig it. So, okay. Glad we got that out of the way because it's just been bugging me since I went to bed last night and the old Rube brought it out in me. Cause I mean, his special doesn't touch on anything that is, uh, mind blowing or anything like that, but the non sequiturs and stuff that he puts together and the rants just are art, you know, it, it, there's no, no two ways about it. It's absolute art. Yeah. So, you know, go ahead. I, I'm, I think one place where that trends kind of began of newer comics trying to make a statement. And, and I always hate to say this because th this particular comic is my own, like one of my idols as well. But I caught a lot of flack for saying this on social media, maybe like two years ago. It was just a post that said, I love Doug Stanhope, but he inspired a generation of edgelord open micers to be edgelord <laughs> open micers. You know, he really did. He should be him and nobody else should be him. I agree. Yeah, that's, it's already been done. The mold has already been set there. You can break it and you don't have to try that.
If you try to be Doug Stanhope, you're never going to be anything better than a diet Doug Stanhope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's the real thing. Yeah. I 100% agree. And you see it, you know, you see it everywhere you go The you know, people idolize him because he's, you know, the alt comic, he's the fringe guy and that's where they want to go. And it may not necessarily work for him. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about your progression because... I came to know you basically when my son moved here, I started looking at, you know, when I came to visit, I started looking at open mics and stuff like that and did a couple of those, but I came to know you through that. And your comedy has always been pretty much what I would expect to hear from you if we're just sitting around talking. So what you are on stage is pretty much, they always say it's a kind of a bigger version of a part of you. Whereas with you, I feel like it's just you up there being you with the exception that when you're in a conversation, you're a little bit more of a listener than a talker. And I wanted to know when you started, was that how you started or did you progress into that? And how did you get to where you are now? When I started i aside from my first open mic where i did character work uh-huh. i i think where i first started uh, my stuff was probably about 80 percent one-liners and the rest was kind of i guess ranty stories you usually it was gripes about being in the service industry at the time and then i, I don't know that i even really figured out like who i was as a comic until even after i did my first album because I mean, if I like listen back to I Drink Therefore I Am now, I, I don't personally like my first album. And I can tell, I feel like I should have given it maybe another year before I rushed into doing my first record. Because there's so much I would have done different. There was some material I just wouldn't have done, period. Yeah, I don't think I really, I guess, and I don't think most comics really figure out who they are until after the five-year mark. And of course, I think it's different on a case-by-case basis, but I'd say like law of averages, you're looking at like the five-year mark and then, you know, year seven, I uh, recorded Game Set Trash, which was kind of the, you know, big runaway closest thing I've had to a hit album. And then, uh, yeah, like, Cause like albums two, three, and four for me, while they tackle different material and they're tonally a bit different, you can see a progression there that sees, seems very disjointed from I drink, therefore I am. What I see of you is that you talk a lot about the human condition and you talk a lot about how people are fucked up and fucked up things have happened to you. And yet you do it in a way that we don't feel sorry for you because we know that you are handling it, that you're right on the edge of not being strong enough to handle it, but you're keeping it at bay by talking about it on stage. That's what I get from you, that you're able to expel your demons by getting people to laugh about it on stage. And I, I feel like it's pretty artful because I listened to... It only hurts when I exist a few times through. And 
every time I got a little bit something different from it as far as, you know, where you came from the joke and what you learned from it and things like that from the experiences in your life. Do you feel like right now, especially with the last album, do you feel like you have pretty much found what you want to be on stage or are you still saying there's something more? I think there's still something more. I think it's important to always, uh, not just as a comic, but as a person to grow, adapt and change. None of us are the same people we were 10 years ago, you know? So yeah, I'm definitely excited to see what's next. 2022 was kind of, uh, a bit of a writer's block year for me. I obviously most of the stuff on that album was material that I wrote in 2021. And since recording that, I probably only written about a new half hour and I'm only really thrilled with maybe 10 minutes of it. So, you know, there's still a long ways to go and, but I'm also not in a rush. Now, one of the things that I'm assuming about the Huntsville scene is that a lot of what is happening now is happening because you started it. Uh, so thinking about when you first started the open mics that were available and the showcases that were available, how has that changed from what you started? And I know you've walked away from some of it, stepped away from some of it so you could travel more and all that, but how, what did you do to elevate the scene and why? Um, I think the most significant thing was giving, giving people a, a space to feel safe and a mic to get behind and talk about whatever was on their minds. And I w was always very encouraging of new comics, people who wanted to try it out, people who tried it out and decide they wanted to stick with it. Uh, it was very important to me to always be kind of an ear to them for them to bounce things off of and to foster a, an environment that was, you know, productive to their creative process. And when you foster that kind of environment over time, it's, uh, it's going to grow more than any amount of advertisement can influence growth. And so it was all, it was all very grassroots. So. And thinking about the showcases and things you do and being able to, you know, Huntsville's a great place because we're close enough to a lot of other places, you know, Nashville, Atlanta, and, you know, Birmingham, even Tuscaloosa, all, you know, and there's comedians all over, you know, it's basically one thing that is true a hundred percent in comedy no matter where you build it, if you build it, they'll come. <laughs> and in, in doing that, do you feel like that it's put Huntsville a little bit more on the map as far as comedy is concerned? Absolutely. And, you know, I, even as much as, you know, three or four years ago, I would have wholeheartedly even spoken the sentiment. I, I feel like one of the greatest things about Huntsville for a touring comic is how close it is to Birmingham, to Atlanta, to, to Memphis, to Nashville, to Chattanooga. You know, you, you can be a road dog comic and 
you know, maybe do like a weekend in Birmingham and uh, in your downtime, come through like Huntsville and do like a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday show, and then be in your next city. And what would normally be, uh, you know, dead air for you on that travel where you're just paying for a hotel room and hemorrhaging money. Instead, you're making money. And so that, that sentiment that one of Huntsville's Huntsville Comedy's biggest strength is how close it is to uh, other cities would be a very true statement, I think, three or four years ago. Now, I would say that probably Huntsville's biggest strength is how close it is to Huntsville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that's very true. And the funny thing is, I've been to a lot of open mics in a lot of cities, but when you go to a Huntsville open mic, you get people that actually are prepared and that want to do stand-up. They're not just dicking around with it. You know, it's people who are, you know, committed to it, you know, and, you know, like, like an Alex Z or Jonathan Silver, you know, people that I've seen, you know, they, they're using open mics like they're supposed to be used because you can use an open mic just to do your greatest hits. And I've done it just so you can say them again, or because you don't feel like bringing anything new to the stage. Cause you know, you're going to get a lot of silence. So, you know, I think that, um, I think that one thing, and I think it's the fostering relationship that, you know, people like you and Scott Eason have with the folks that are in, in, in the area, you know, it's, it's inclusive and they feel like they can get up there and try that new stuff and say it out loud and figure out what's funny and what's not funny. And you don't see that at a lot of open mics. Yeah. I mean, I think, a large, maybe part of the reason for that is, and I'm, you know, any of us who've been in the business for even a little bit of time know that uh, comedians can be kind of neurotic. And I think there's definitely this culture of, uh, of comics being afraid to see other comics succeed because they feel like we're all in competition with one another. But the truth of the matter is that couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, yeah. and, and so, yeah, I think fostering one another's success and thriving is the most important thing. And that's why, you know, ideally I've always wanted Huntsville comedy to be a community first and foremost, by the way, I nearly wore that same shirt today. <laughs> we could have been twinsies. <laughs> yeah. I looked at it and then I was like, that seems a little on the head. Now I grabbed, you know, this comedian's power hour shirt instead, <laughs> but in hindsight, I should have just, I, you know, it's just a lesson. Don't second guess yourself. <laughs> have you, since you've been doing it for as long as you have, especially here, because you're getting into traveling more now, but because you're producing so many shows, you spent a lot of time here. Did you... Have you run across anybody that was so good and yet nobody knew them and they either did well or they quit because it was too hard for them? Have you run into people like that? I know you saw my face when you started that question. I, yeah, I've seen it entirely too many times over the years. I've had the privilege with working, of working with uh, some phenomenally 
talented comics and some of them comics like like Jeff Graham spring to mind. Anybody who, you know, is in Huntsville comedy like 10 years ago knows who that is, but like he stopped and and he's only one of many examples. And it, it always makes me like kind of sad to see that. Well, on one hand, I, I realized, you know, a lot of the times it's because, you know, they're living their life. They, they've got other things that have popped up that, you know, now take precedent, like, like family or professional careers. But man, Jeff was, Jeff was a beast. And he started, I think, just a few weeks before I did back in 2012. And he was that kind of guy who would show up with a new type five or 10 like every other week and it was always like doubling you over with laughter inducing the guy was a master and i don't even know that he knows that but he god he was good and you know like every few years it seems you kind of get a new what i've called a new class of comedians coming up not necessarily people who take comedy classes because i personally feel like those are a scam but <laughs> You know, like a new crew of, of, you know, comics who start hitting the mics and some of them start getting on shows and it, it always seems like, you know, there, there's those who stick around and then there's those who don't. And then there's some who, you know, they might pop up every couple of years and do a couple things mm -hmm. and they, you don't see them again, you know? Yeah. And I think it gets to a point because I've, you know, I've hit that point myself where it becomes hard. You know, when you first start, it's hard to get on stage the first time, but after that, it's pretty easy. And then when you've had a couple of shows where you do really well, then it propels you on. And then you find out to get to the next level beyond doing a local showcase you got to work and yeah. you got to hear a lot of no's. You got to, it's really 80% negative and 20% positive if you're lucky at that point. And you, if you don't push through that, then, or you don't want to push through it, then it's a lot easier to walk away than it is to stick with it. Yeah. I, there's definitely a lot of truth in that. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that this podcast is like three years old today. So one of the things that I wanted this podcast not to be was about me. And some of the feedback I've gotten is it's not enough about me. The, they don't know who I am. So I'm sticking you with, with a problem that I'm having and asking for your advice. So it was a big change when I moved here. I had been in the same house for 30 years and I'd been in the South Bend area for all my life, except for a couple of years I lived in Indy. And when I started stand up, I did what I thought people would think was funny. And I was clean. I was, I could do, I could do TV. I could do a church if I'd walk into one and I could do any of that. And after I got here, a lot of things happened. And I, one of the things I looked at was, you know, I'm writing what I think people will laugh at 
and yet who I am is not being portrayed on stage at all. So I started writing other stuff that is a little bit more, I guess, angry. A little, you know, I'm mad at my generation for leaving the country for your generation to pick up the pieces. And uh, my generation is still blaming you for not staffing McDonald's properly and all that kind of stuff. It, so I'm angry. I'm a little bit more edgy, I guess, the stuff that I'm writing, but it's actually brought me to an impasse where I've got this phobia about getting on stage because I know that what I put forth is going to be totally different. It's almost like completely starting again because it's a, it's a 180 from what I did before. And I've got this thing where, you know, I'm writing down premises, I'm writing down ideas, but I don't want to, I don't want to get on stage anymore. And the few times I've done it this year, it, it's just been awful. I, even if it was okay on stage, I felt awful when I left because I knew I wasn't as good as I was when I was doing the old stuff. So what would you tell a person like me who wants to be authentic? Because this isn't going to, I'm not going to get a Netflix special. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be a comedian that makes his living off of comedy. It's just, that's just not going to happen for me. But for, but I love it. And for me to take the next step, I've got to break through this issue I'm having with my material and my presentation and totally reinventing myself. If you were me, what would you do to get over the issues that I have? Well, first off, I'd, I'd do what you're doing right now and talk about it. Because the fact of the matter is, I think... Any comic who's even mildly serious about it is going to experience that at some point. I personally am going through something similar at the time. I haven't been hitting the mics nearly as much. I mean, I did a lot of road shows between between June and, and November, but then I've been taking downtime since then. And uh, you know, it's almost like pulling teeth, convincing myself to go hit a mic most of the time now. Because I am back at the drawing board, you know, like I can't just get up and do the greatest hits at every open mic or I'm going to stagnate and mm. doing new stuff is, is terrifying. It's like that in any part of life. And so you kind of just have to force yourself to do it and it's going to suck sometimes. But then every once in a while, you'll have a night and I had one of these recently at, at a show actually, where I decided to run with, uh, all new material, which is a terrible idea to then I seeking for a, a book show, but I did it and it all clicked. And this was after bombing at Mike after Mike as a comic in his 11th year. Uh-huh. And, you know, I can't answer for you whether or not that amount of discomfort is worth it. But from what, what do I do know about you? I suspect that it might be. Yeah, it's funny because I am, I've never experienced anything like this before. I've never 
been really that afraid of anything. And I've, I'm really, it's really, it's really made me look at myself and I know what the catalyst was. It was when I was interviewing Barry Katz, the infamous Barry Katz. And I told him I was a comedy hobbyist. And his response to that is, what the fuck is a comedy hobbyist? <laughs> he says, you're either a comedian or you're not a comedian. And I really, and that was right in the middle of deciding the, you know, I'm not going to be the the super, super squeaky clean dude on stage. I'm going to be who I am. And then it just, I don't know. I second guess myself so much and I will be driving to a mic and I'll turn around and go home. And I'm 58 years old. I'm an adult. I, sh I should be able to go do five minutes and just not care care but not care that i'm not going to get a bunch of laughs because it's new stuff right do you like want to make a pact live on air here that we're both going to hit more mics sure if you want to do an accountability exercise with me i will i will definitely join in with you all righty personally i've grown really fond of the uh wednesday mics the one at the bar at 805 yeah yeah and they make a great um, old-fashioned too Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went there the, I guess it was about a week ago and I don't really drink a whole lot anymore, but I've kind of been on a scotch kick. And uh -huh. so I, I went to Scott. Can you believe, would you believe they don't have any scotch there? That, that blew my damn mind. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I'm almost definitely going to that mic tomorrow night. You know, I might go do the mic tonight. Don't know what you got going on tonight, but. Yeah. Yeah. You might see me and I'm definitely for accountability's sake, I will say, I will see you tomorrow for sure. Okay, cool. So, I will be there as soon as I get out of, out of the day job. I usually get out of the, walk out the door there about nine o'clock. So. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, and I appreciate you listening to me because it's been tough and you know, I've got a life, you know, I'm okay as far as life's concerned, but when you've got that little hole, of in you that you're not fulfilling what you want to do, what, whether it's worthwhile to somebody else or not, it's worthwhile to me. And, you know, I want to do it, but man, I've never had this before. And it's the weirdest feeling. It's probably kind of like the writer's block that you're going through and the, you just, it's hard to wrap your head around why you can't write because if you could, you'd be writing and the same thing with me, what I'm writing, but why don't I want to get on stage and perform it? Yeah. And it's been permeating into like every facet of my creative life recently for, uh, you know, I, 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 cause I don't just do stand up comedy, although that's the main thing I've been, I've been writing for about 30 years, whether it's, you know, poetry, short stories, stage plays, music, and just like, for the most part, it hadn't been coming, but like that last week of, of 2022 though, like, uh, something just clicked. I, I went to the 805 mic with a brand new, brand new 10 minutes and I did get all the laughs. No, 
Absolutely not. It didn't. There, there was one thing that hit pretty hard, and one of the audience members actually asked me to repeat it, and that felt good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the rest of it was kind of just like, it is kind of like starting over, and I maybe that's how it should be, but you know, it's rediscovering you and what your process is, getting acquainted with a stage again. It's like seeing a friend you haven't seen in a long time. Uh, yeah. It's going to be awkward at first, but yeah. you know, you put through that. Yeah. My, my awkward's with all capital letters. That's just the way I am as a human being. So there you go. Well, you know how you boomers like all caps. Yep. <laughs> and no punctuation. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being my accountability partner. Hopefully both of us will get through this with some material and get on stage because it's really been bugging me. And I, I think talking about it, like in podcast format kind of cements the fact that I need to act and yeah, now there's a public record. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I feel like I, I made it about me a little bit, but what the heck? We're it was all part of my plan. Yeah. <laughs> so now we are at one of my favorite points of the show. The new the new thing, because I've only done it about six times, that has gotten more response than anything I've ever done in three years. It's the is this anything part where we each bring a joke or a premise to the table. And we say it, give each other notes, and decide if it's something we want to act on or not. And since you're the guest, you get to decide who goes first, either you or I. I'm looking for a coin to flip. <laughs> hey, Google, give me a random number between one and two. All right, that would be me. All right, go for it. Okay, this, here we go. So my neighbor was getting shot the other day, and I thought, boy, the holidays are coming up, aren't they? <laughs> we got a, we got a church goers in the audience tonight, church, a couple, yeah, I'm a, myself, I'm not a big church goer, you know, I only go once a year, once a year, just really because, it, you know, it makes my family happy. So every year around the holidays, you know, Go with my very Catholic church or family to their very Catholic church. And, you know, like I said, I don't like going to church most of the time, you know, throughout the year. And mostly it's because of all the lies, you know, all the lies they tell you in church, you know, especially the Catholic church, you know, like, you know what they give you when you go to a Catholic church, right? Yeah, it's a reach around. Yeah. <laughs> But no, that, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about that, that weird ceremony they have where they put an old white guy in front of a line of people. And he just goes down the line and gives each one of them a, a little sip of wine or a whole bunch of wine if it's a little boy. <laughs> and then a curious thing happens. This, the guy will proceed to go back through the line and he, he hands each one of you a cracker, right? hands you a cracker and he says, you know, Jesus said you, you should eat this because it's because it's him. Uh, it's his body. And, it, you know, that raises a whole level of uh, a whole number of problematic thoughts that I wouldn't get into because the whole body of Christ thing is a stand up comic. You know, it'd, 
feels like it would be a little bit hack if I went too much into that. But, you know, I couldn't help but think when he was doing this, you know, hold on, it, this is another one of those Catholic lies, you know, because as a student of history, I happen to know that Jesus was not a cracker. That that is very the punchline is just perfect. The only thing on when you're talking about the body of Christ, I I don't know if you can um instead of saying it's hack or whatever, I don't know if anybody's ever said, but I asked him what part of the body and he couldn't tell me. <laughs> Am I getting a foot? You know, am I getting a toe? Uh, and I think this is why maybe this segment exists too, because actually that tag I was on the fly, like that wasn't in it. The one mic I've done this at. So yeah, but I love it. The payoff is fantastic, and it kept me interested throughout. So yeah, I think you know a couple more tags in between getting in the church and getting to the cracker part would would definitely make that an a plus thank you yeah thank you that, yeah. that means a lot to hear yeah yeah that was good my my laugh was genuine at the end of that i appreciate it <laughs> the first person i ran that by was actually my roommate rob and he went okay norm mcdonald <laughs> you know it did yeah it, that's fair it, it did have a little bit of that cadence and I liked it, Thank but, you. but you do have a little bit of that cadence anyway, naturally. So it's, you, you're not going out of character by saying it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, your turn, sir. All right. I'm going to take a drink here. So when I told you about doing angry social commentary, this is not it. I'm trying to establish myself at the front of it as, because you know how large I am. I want to try to make myself a little bit less scary. So I want to put yeah. some words in there that will make me a little less scary. So this is one I ran past the writing group last night, and they were okay with it. So I was driving behind one, I was driving behind one of those big rigs, and I saw a sign on the back of it that said, if you can't see my mirrors, I can't see you. And you know what that means? Highway peekaboo. I put Beastie Boys Sabotage on repeat, and I'd get right up behind the trailer, dart out so I could see its mirrors, honk a few times and wave, and then dart back. I did this from Birmingham, Alabama to Sandusky, Ohio, and oh boy, was that fun. Until the crash, the breathalyzer, and the 72-hour psychiatric hold. <laughs> in the same way that maybe if my own bit was a little bit a little bit of mcdonald that felt a little bit letterman and i like it <laughs> i so you should know that letterman is like my idol i've i was like an early adopter of letterman when they did the morning show and i was one of those that would stay up and watch it live every night and my everybody says that my delivery is a lot like him and my mom when she was alive every time i'd start doing my thing before i was a comedian she'd say oh you're just acting like that david letterman again and <laughs> part of it i mean 
we grew up like probably 150 miles from each other. So we're both Indiana guys and we've got the Midwest thing and all that. So, but I know part of it has just sucked into me because I watch him so much that I've got that it's a natural cadence for me now. But yeah. So do you think that's something that if I put in the front end, people wouldn't be as scared of me? I love it personally. Okay. I think that's really good. And yes, that that's, that is a really good bit to lead with because, you know, I mean, you're a smart guy, so you already know, like the most important thing in a set is to get that first laugh and mm. to immediately grab the audience's attention. I mean, that's why that joke I ran by you starts with, so my neighbor was getting shot the other day. Yeah. It's like, because <laughs> everybody's going to stop what they were doing, turn around, look at the stage and realize, what the hell? And then, you know, all you have to do is keep dragging the carrot in front of them. Yeah, I don't like that with an opener. Yeah, and it's funny because I've been writing so much heavy stuff that, uh, and some of it's only I would say medium heavy. It's just poking at boomers, and but I needed something silly because I opened with a pay it forward at McDonald's thing. That's a longer bit of uh, the last time I got on stage, and it didn't go well. I mean, parts of it went okay, but as a whole, it was not good. And I know the bit you're talking about, and that bit is actually has all the makings for a really good closer. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think the reason why is because I'm starting my set angry and I don't think that somebody like me can start my set angry. You know, I have to start lighter and I have to ease into it. Let them get used to me. Let, you know, let them dip their toes in and then all of a sudden I whack them with the fact that I'm the most liberal boomer that you've ever seen and I hate my generation. So cracker. There we go. So Tom Hand actually once kind of said almost verbatim the same thing you just said to me. Oh. And I'm he's also, you know, a very big imposing seeming man who has a resting scowl. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's to the same degree. I don't think, don't take this offensively. I don't think you're as intimidating as Tom. Yes. <laughs> What's a high word? Yeah. I would like to be less intimidating all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. I, you know, I think we both got something we can work on and I'm going to bring mine Wednesday. So okay. if you bring yours, I'll bring mine. I'll show you yours. You show me. <laughs> Sounds good. It'll be just like third grade. <laughs> or Catholic church. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you why, you know, I've got nothing but the most respect for you. First of all, you know, how welcoming you were when I came to town. And even though I've been scarce, it's certainly not because of you. Uh, it's, you know, it's all my own internal stuff. And, you know, everybody I've met so far in the Huntsville scene has really taken a beat from you, I think, in the in that they're welcoming, you know, they the they introduce themselves. You know, I had a guy just contact me out of the blue that was on a show and I can't think of his name right now, but uh the fact that this community, this comedy community is such that we feel comfortable enough that we can just reach out to people and 
start a dialogue, which it's not like that everywhere. And it's, and I appreciate what you've done to make this scene where it's at. Thank you. That means a lot to hear, especially as I stepped back a lot from producing stuff from the scene. Like I only yeah. ran team shows last year and I only ran an open mic for the first half of last year. So right. That actually does mean a lot to hear. I appreciate it. Yeah. And it's really, it's kind of a, more of a go-giver mentality that, you know, you gave for so long that it's become part of the DNA and other people are carrying that forward. So you don't have to, you can you do your own cry on, on set, man. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> That's one of the things that I like about this is because I get to say what I, you know, I get to say what inspires me and you did even before I moved here, you know, I, as I was watching the scene, I'm like, damn, this guy hustles and you know, whatever, you know, whatever goes on in our personal lives or whatever happens, you know, the fact that you kept pushing on really made me feel like I wanted to be here in a comedy sense, not just moving down here. It made me want to be here because of the scene. Wow. Thank you. And it's, I frankly, it's good to have you as part of the scene. Yeah. Thank you. So if folks want to find you on the socials or find your albums on the evil Spotify, where can they go? So on social media, Facebook, I'm Matthew Tate, Instagram, I'm TGI Matthew on Twitter. I'm at Twitter is an evil dying medium. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. I that that's not my handle at all. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I do have, you know, of course I've got YouTube under Matthew Tate. There's two separate channels, one for my videos and one for my albums and those albums I drink. Therefore I am game set trashed the happiness illusion and it only hurts when I exist are available across multiple platforms. Um, every last one of my albums is on iTunes on, on YouTube music. I think only my third ones on Pandora, Spotify has my first third and fourth albums. Yeah. And then of course the link tree I sent to you is a link tree to my most recent album, but, um, yeah, if you just search Matthew Tate Comedy, a lot of this stuff will come up. And, you know, obviously I appreciate every listen, whether it's on, you know, Deezer, Tidal, Napster, Spotify, whatever. Yeah, there's a lot of different mediums. And, uh, you know, I'm more of a Tidal guy, but I kept my Spotify account because my Hulu account is attached to it. And for some reason, I got it for 10 bucks a month and it was some weird grandfathered offer. And I found out if I separated them, I was going to be paying 20 bucks a month. So I'm still keeping it. Huh. Yeah. So, so you're probably where some of my title money is coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like title. It's, it'll, it'll carry a lot of albums that a lot of streaming services don't have. And it's like the sophomore album seems to drop off on a lot of different, a lot of different platforms, whereas title will have it. So yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and you know, I'll see you tomorrow for sure, but it's neat to connect with somebody who's both local and has inspired me both from afar and thank you. 
And it's good to see you again. And I look forward to working with you.